It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the basketball expert, basketball guru, Jay Smoove. You guys can find him on Twitter as well at Smoove underscore 702. And you can find us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead. We're going to recap two of the NBA games that were played on Thursday. We got the Nets. And we got the Bucks, and then we had the Clippers, and we had the Jazz. Smooth and I going to go through, and we're going to talk about what we saw. Hopefully, we can go ahead and pick out some stuff for the next games that these teams are going to go ahead and play. And then we have uh, two matchups that we'll go ahead and talk about uh, on Friday. So we got a lot of stuff to get to here. Smooth, let's talk about Brooklyn and the Bucks. Crazy final score in that one, a score that, that I did not expect. I actually like the over in that game. You had mentioned that it went under by about 69 points, so I guess I could not have been any more wrong. Bucks end up getting the win there, 86-83. My first thought in that game was, where the hell did the defense come from from the Nets? I didn't expect them to go out there and be able to hold Brooklyn, and they've looked good for the last couple games. So I don't know if you think it's poor shooting from the Bucks because that seemed like that was a little bit of an issue, or if it's the Nets defense. Now, this is a different series move. There's no James Harden. So maybe that actually is improving the defense. But, you know, what did you see in that Brooklyn game that you liked, that you disliked? And then talk about defense, I guess, from both teams, because the Bucks seem like they stepped up today, holding Brooklyn at 83 points. That's uh, that, that, that might actually be one of their season lows. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that game, look at the defense offense, uh, however you feel. Yeah, Sleepy. Um, this game three was, you know, pretty nasty, but it was a win, obviously, that uh, Milwaukee needed. But just looking at, you know, um, how this game unfolded, you know, first quarter uh, came out. Uh, Milwaukee looked like they was going to, you know, have a 115 plus point, you know, type of night uh, with, you know, how they was flowing offensively in that quarter. But, you know, as the game went on, you know, they just. Uh, got away from, you know, the the rhythm and the offensive, you know, confidence that they was playing within that quarter. And they just started to take a lot of bad shots, a lot of bad possessions. Um, biggest thing that, you know, you know, stuck out to me, which pretty sure stuck out to a lot of people was, you know, Giannis taking eight threes and going one for eight. And it wasn't just that the eight threes that he took, it was just the type of threes that he take with, uh, you know, the, the dribble up, you know, walking up, uh, into the shot and, you know, no ball movement, you know, they're baiting him into taking that shot and he takes it. And it just looks like he's at the point to where it's more of a mental thing to where he's, um you know, trying to prove, you know, to everybody um, that he can take and make that shot because in their regular season matchups, he was pretty successful, uh, you know, shooting the three uh, against his team. He was averaging about 40 points a game and, you know, shot the ball really efficient. Um, all over the all over the floor. So, um, you, you know, Giannis. You know, when you hear him talk or when you see him play, you know, he's a he has a lot of pride in his game. He works real hard, as he should. But I just think that that's a shot that he could kind of eliminate and, and look to uh, uh, get a better shot on those possessions. But you know, everything kind of fell on Giannis and and Middleton. You know, they carried the team. I think I seen where they scored or they had about sixty nine to seventy percent of the production uh drew holiday couldn't get involved um neither could anybody else but you know their milwaukee's defense showed up you know for the first time in the series and i think that's what 
you know, got them the win. Uh, but I think both teams, they just missed a lot of shots early and often that they normally hit. Um, I think Milwaukee might have been feeling the pressure that, you know, if we don't win this game um, tonight, that, you know, not only is our series over, but, you know, the team as it's constructed as is, you know, a new head coach could come in there. So everything could been could have been blown up. So I think there's probably feeling that pressure as well. Um, but I do think that both teams would be a little bit more better, you know, offensively in game four. But it's pretty crazy, you know, the total, you know, went under about 69 points. Um, it's been the most that it, uh, the most points that a game has gone under the total, I think, over the last maybe 10 to 20 years. Um, and it's, it's kind of crazy because the regular season matchups, all three of them went over the total pretty comfortably. And all three, you know, playoff matchups so far has, been, has gone under the total, um, you know, comfortably. So um, that's just something that I've seen, you know, so far through this series and include the night. You know, one of the things that I noticed in this particular game, and it kind of reminds me of, of like college football in a sense where, you know, you come out with this, this just a, so much motivation and then you end up deflating like a flat tire. And that happens a lot. You know, you just have this this big boost of, of motivation and momentum and eventually you have to come down. And it always happens, you know, when you're at home because the home crowd is just riled up. I don't feel like the Bucks ever thought that they were out of this series going back home. Like, I felt like the Bucks crowd, the fans, the coaches, the players, everybody, they felt like the Bucks are still live in this series. Now, the media could say whatever they want to say, but, you know, you and I, we liked the Bucks in the last game, and we liked them in this particular game. I never felt like they were out, and I don't think that they felt that they were out. And that first quarter was just, it was just a buzzsaw. You know, and I was worried about them, you know, going into the second quarter. And sure enough, it, it seemed like they kind of just deflated. And then on top of it, you know, they were compounding it, you know, really throughout the entire game, as you had mentioned, taking some bad shots. Like there, I don't think there's any way that Giannis takes eight threes in the next game. I don't even think he probably takes more than two. Um, so maybe you want to look at a prop. Maybe we'll get some value. The fact that Giannis went out and shot eight. You know, maybe they'll boost his total thinking that, uh, you know, that he might go out and, and shoot a bunch of uh, threes in this next game. But that's not the recipe for success. We know that. But I am concerned with, you know, with the Bucks overall that they've really only played like one good quarter with their starters. And I don't even want to say that it was a good quarter with their starters. It was really just Middleton and Giannis. Like where was Drew Holiday, you know, in that mix? And I know that they lost DiVincenzo and, and they, they're trying to fill guys in. But you can't just have two guys, you know, run for four quarters and, and and try to, you know, win the game. And I think that's one of the reasons why Brooklyn has had successes. They've relied on, you know, a guy like Brown. They've relied on, on Griffin and, and players like that to, to go out and step up and jam it and guys to come off the bench and hit threes. And I didn't like what I saw from the Bucks. you know, after that first quarter. I'm like, man, this team's going cold again at home i could understand new jersey doing that or brooklyn you know going cold being their first game on the road um they know they were gonna and then they were down by you know what what were they down by almost 20 points so um they had to go ahead and fight back but i did worry a little bit about the bucks but we're gonna go ahead and talk about the nuggets game and smooth i think that's a good angle for us maybe to take tomorrow i personally 
I don't like the Nuggets tomorrow going into that game. You have a different opinion. We'll talk about that. But I think that that's something that we should probably take into consideration. And, and look, if the Nuggets think that they that they even stand a chance in this uh, in this particular matchup, and I think the narrative has kind of been, you know, it's been put out there that, that the Bucks were going to get beat and that the, the Nuggets were going to get beat. If the Nuggets have any faith at all that this series isn't over, then we probably play them in the first quarter tomorrow because they're going to be super high. They're going to be motivated. That crowd's going to be behind them. They're going to be rocking. That's the time you want to play them. Then you probably want to go ahead and fade them in the second quarter. That's just my my recommendation, Um, and that happens a lot in the playoffs. It happens a lot in college football. Um, Teams just deflate. But anyway, getting back to the Bucs and the Nets, uh, I don't know what to think of the next game, to be honest with you. I I felt going into today that – the Bucks were going to tie this series. Do you think that there's a really good chance that they tie this series up? Yeah, for uh, Game Four, I would lean towards uh, backing the Bucks again. You know, I backed them tonight with the points at three and a half. Got beat with the hook. Um, you know, money line betters cash, but it would be something that I would look to back them again. Um, points and money line. I just think that they was really tight uh, for this game, knowing that how much of everything was on the line and feeling the pressure. And then, you know, coming out and playing a, a really a really good first quarter, um, they probably, you know, they seem like they kind of um, exhaled a little bit, like you said, just deflated and um, felt that they could kind of just cruise, you know, the rest of the game. But, you know, uh, everything kind of changed and they went, you know, really cold. Uh, luckily, they had their defense to fall uh, fall back on um, to, you know, to get, you know, to, to get the win in game three. But, um, I think they come out a little bit more relaxed, um, you know, playing their style of basketball throughout the entirety of the game. Um, I think they get, you know, other guys more involved, uh, like a Drew Holiday. Um, it wasn't like he wasn't um, included in the game plan. I don't think um, he did get up 14 shots, but only knocked down four of them. Uh, it was pretty good, you know, uh, rebounding the ball and, and making a few assists. But I think, him getting that um, that go ahead bucket at the end with that layup, um, that has to boost his confidence. I'm thinking, and I think you get a better performance out of him as well as some other guys. Um, you know, Brooke Lopez, he played a lot better second half. Um, I was just sitting back laughing, and I even let out a tweet, you know, during during the game three to where like, come on, man, you you can't be seven foot and getting outplayed by Bruce Brown, who's you know six four six five. He's just you know floating the ball over the top of you. Uh, second second half, you know, he blocked some shots and made a few plays. So I think you get a better performance out of him, and I just think you get a better performance all around, you know, from the Bucks in game four, and they, uh, you know, tied the series up 2-2. I think the big factor in that one for the Bucks was the fact that, you know, Brooklyn ended up with 22 fouls. The Bucks only ended up with, you know, with 12. They had 10 more free throws, and, uh, you know, they ended up winning the rebound and battle by, by six. So, you know, they made adjustments and they ended up, you know, taking care of the areas that they needed to take care of. Durant was 11 for 28. Kyrie was 9 for 22. But I really felt like Joe Harris was the guy that could have been the X factor in that game. And he ended up 1 for 11 in that game, only 1 for 7 from 3. Like they really needed him to go ahead and be out there and do his thing. And then, you know, the guys like Brown, you know, I'm surprised he stepped up the way he did. I saw your tweet. I was cracking up laughing, but 
that's kind of been the thing. I don't think a lot of people have really realized with this Nets team is, yeah, you know, you got KD out there and Kyrie and Harden. And look, they haven't played together really all season long. And it's been the big two or it's been, you know, the big one. And what was it, six or seven games in the regular season that they played together as the big three. And then they all played together in the Boston series. But, you know, we're right back to square one again with, with this Nets team. And what I don't think a lot of people take into consideration is how good, you know, their role players are. And, and, and you know, at times how much they step up and really help this team. And I guess we could plug Joe Harris in there. But he didn't show up tonight and neither did the bench. Claxon made one shot. James made one shot. Shamit made one shot. Those guys were knocking shots down, you know, left and right. And, and Harris played rather well. Blake Griffin seems like he's starting to fade off. You know, his game one was, uh, you know, it was reminiscent of Blake Griffin when he used to play with the Clippers and was, you know, really, really good. But uh, he was just two for five. He only had five points tonight. His rebounds were were actually really low again, too. Uh, only six. So they're going to have to figure out some things. But I just don't feel in my gut feeling says that the Nets are going to play a lot better. And the Bucks are going to have to step it up. They, they can't go out there and just rely on Giannis and Middleton to do all the work. Uh, Jay Ruiz has to go ahead. He has to step up. They got really got to get it going, I think, here uh, for the next game in order for the Bucks to win. But I feel like they will. I feel like that crowd and that team, they, that they certainly don't think that they're out of it, that they felt like they were probably you know, a little bit disrespected. Let me go ahead and talk about the, uh, the Clippers and the uh, Utah Jazz. That was an interesting game. Utah ended up. Uh, holding on there, they actually fell behind there in the fourth quarter. I thought that uh, the Clippers were going to end up surging past them. But sure enough, Mitchell's going bonkers again. Um, you can't put the ball in his hand. If, if, if Clarkson's out there smooth or, or Mitchell's out there, they're going to shoot. I mean, these guys are taking 50%, 60% of the shots, total shots, uh, for this Jazz team. I think that's a recipe for disaster uh, as this series shifts over to you know, L.A. right now, but Mitchell had another good game, 37 points, and uh, Clarkson had 24 off the bench, but they, they didn't get anything else off the bench, and I think that that's going to be a concern, you know, with some of these guys not being able to not being able to go ahead and get up any shots, you know, in this series, and I think it's going to affect, you know, a lot of the starters also, you know, for Utah. What did you see in that Clippers game? Are you optimistic heading uh, back to L.A. with this Clippers team or not? Yeah, I'm, I'm still uh, really high on this Clippers team. Um, I think they come back and uh, tie the series up with the two games that they have in L.A. Um, but I don't think that they're holding their heads um, or they should have any reason to hold their heads, um, you know, losing two games in Utah. You look at that first game, they was coming off of a, a really emotional seven-game series uh, with Dallas where they started out with home court advantage, uh, lost two games. And another factor, you know, in that series where a lot of people wasn't talking about was um, the 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 difference in, you know, uh, capacity for the arenas to where, you know, the Clippers, they was getting, you know, less than 10,000, you know, in Staples Center while, you know, the Mavericks were, um, were pretty much, you know, close to full capacity being, you know, 92, 93% capacity games played in Dallas. And, you know, they was able to go on the road and, and win, you know, all three games in Dallas and win the final one, um, you know, game seven at home uh, on their home court. And they're kind of up against the same thing in Utah, going up against some sellout crowds. And, you know, they played well in, you know, both games, um, especially uh, game two, um, going down double digits and coming back in the second half to, you know, take a one or two point lead 
on uh, Reggie Jackson's three, um, but weren't able to, you know, sustain that momentum and ended up losing down the stretch. So um, I think the Clippers, they're, they're in a good spot as long as they continue to, to uh, you know, play with that type of energy, which I think they will, you know, going back home. Only thing that I didn't really like as much is, you know, uh, Ty Lue inserting, you know, Zubac you know, back into the starting lineup. Um, I would much rather see them, you know, continue playing small with either Patum uh, at the five, or I do like the minutes that they've been getting out of DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, he brings a, a, a bigger, you know, versatile skill set that could, you know, play Gobert in the paint or on the perimeter. And he's been, you know, instant impact when he's gotten in the game with his scoring and rebounding. So I think, you know, that's something, you know, of a adjustment that they can make, you know, going back to L.A. But, yeah, I'm still pretty high on the Clippers, you know, even though they're down 0-2 right now. You know, what if I would have told you that Reggie Jackson would have had 29 and, and George would have had 27? You would, I don't think you would even think that the Clippers would lose that game. But, you know, Kawhi didn't have exactly the greatest game tonight, just 21 points. But, you know, they're getting the play that they need, I think, from, from everybody on this team, including the bench. I don't know what to make of that center situation. I was uh, putting in my DFS lineups, and I was really high on Zubak to at least play because they took him out of the last series. I mean, the last final two games, it was like, you know what, man, we can't, we can't use this guy. Uh, in this particular series, so I don't know if he'll go ahead and he'll and he'll return. Uh, they took him out for a period of time, and it seemed like that's when the Clippers actually fell behind. And then when they brought him back in later on in the game, um, they started to catch up. And it wasn't like he did anything; he didn't do anything but just make a basket. But I don't know if it's uh, you know if he's the guy to slow Gobert. I'd love to see Cousins out there. I mean, I mean, seeing Boogie out there and and doing his thing is just. Uh, that's pretty cool. So I don't know what to make of the next game. Um, I think the Clippers probably go ahead and get get two at home. My gut feeling smooth says that the Clippers know that this is probably going to go seven, and they just got to get one on the road at some point. And uh, they didn't hear, and it was a complete opposite of uh, you know the last last series how Dallas went into uh, in L.A. and and beat them, and then they beat Dallas in Dallas. But uh, they're going to have to get two two games at home here. Oh man, I just worry about Utah and the way that they're playing right now. Um, I know Mitchell wants to go out there and shoot a ton, and I know Clarkson wants to shoot a ton, but I just think that's a recipe uh, for disaster. And the Clippers are going to step up here at home and, and, and place probably some really good defense. Kawhi's going to have a big game, and if you can get guys like Reggie Jackson going, especially Paul George, you know, have him playing really good basketball, um, they're going to be tough to beat. So. That'll be an interesting series. I don't really have a, a whole lot else on that game. So why don't we go ahead and start it with the early game tomorrow. we got the 76ers going to be on the road here at Atlanta. 76ers are actually going to be favored on the road. The series tied up 1-1 right now. Uh, Atlanta gave them the business in game one, and then Philly shot right back game two, took care of business. Atlanta wasn't uh, didn't go away easily, but 76ers going to be minus one and a half here. We have a total of 224 and a half. I'll tell you right now, Smooth, I like Philly in this matchup going into Atlanta. How are you feeling about that particular game? Yeah, Sleepy, for, for this series and this particular game, I'm kind of torn between the two. Um, I know Atlanta, they, they have the confidence that they can play with and beat this team that they, like they did in game one. And with them going back home, you know, playing on their home court in front of that crowd, they've been one of the better teams at home all year, especially under Nate McMillan. 
um, with uh, going either straight up or against the spread. Um, and, you know, they, they'll be able to make some adjustments. I think one of the adjustments you saw Philly make is that they started out the game in game two uh, with, with Ben Simmons on Trey Young. And for me, that just didn't allow Trey Young to get in the type of offensive rhythm and flow that he established, you know, in game one when he was guarded by Danny Green pretty much the entire first half. Um, and to, that was the difference in the game. You know, he had 21. I think he went six for 16 in game two. And he ended up uh, game game two. He had 21 for six or 16 and game one. He had, you know, 35. Um, so it was about a 14 point difference there. And I think you have to look at what Ben Simmons was able to do. And um, he just didn't allow him to get any type of rhythm. Uh, but I think with uh, Trey Young having, you know, being guarded by Simmons for a game, you know, he realizes that, you know, he, he has to be, you know, quicker with his decisions to attack the basket and look in the score, uh, knowing that, you know, Ben Simmons' athleticism and his size, you know, if you have a, a step on him or two, he can easily get back in, you know, get back into the play, um, you know, if you're, you know, you know, not being, you know, uh, sharper with your decision making. So um, just kind of torn between those two, you know, Atlanta not having a, a answer for Embiid, you know, he scored 39 game one, uh, 40 in game two, you know, they're throwing double teams and triple teams and all that at them and, you know, really not having an answer. And if uh, Atlanta could come out and make the adjustments uh, that they, you know, could make to win game three, I could see them easily winning. And if not, then I could see Philly winning it. So uh, it's probably be a spot where I would pass or maybe look to, you know, for some uh, some player props, uh, maybe on Embiid or maybe on a Tobias Harris. You know, the only thing that's giving me a pause on this game and, and betting Philly is the fact that you don't like them. And I think that, that, you know, that's a compliment more than anything. But you liked Philly. Like, you know, you liked Philly all year long. And, and I was against them. I said, smooth, they're not going to finish, you know, first seed. They're going to end up in the fourth seed. And, and you were right on that, and I was wrong. And I don't want to say that you're a 76ers homer because you can't be, you know, I would be more, you know, because I live in Pennsylvania, but you know, you've been on that team all year long. And the fact that you don't like them in this game is, is the only thing that worries me, to be honest with you. I'm not worried about, you know, the 76ers, I think between Tobias Harris and Embiid and the way that they looked and Curry actually looked good. Danny Green finally woke up uh, the 76ers bench, you know, not, not playing all that bad. Like, I think they'll play – I actually think they'll play really well. But the fact that you don't like them, that's the only reason why I probably won't bet them. I said, you know, I like them going into this game, but I didn't say I, that I'm going to bet them. But just the fact, the mere fact that you don't like the 76ers and you've been on them and supporting them and it seems like there's a, like they're the team that could do no wrong in your eyes, the fact that you don't want any part of them, um, that that worries me. So I'm going to back off that one. I like the 76ers, but I'm not going to bet them because it's smooth. So uh, I'll go ahead and back off. Yeah, it just seems yeah, it just seems like the line is just a little fishy. You know, we know the Sixers are the better team, but, you know, I really liked them, especially when they got the number one seed because last couple years they've been, you know, one of the better teams, if not the best team at home, you know, straight up and against the spread. But on the road, they just haven't been as dominant. While Atlanta, you know, they're the complete opposite. They're super dominant at home, especially under McMillan. So it might be more of a live bet situation to see how that game's, you know, playing out. But, yes, yeah, I still like Philly to win the series. But just for this game three, you know, going on the road against a team that they've already lost to, um, 
there's a little bit more of a tricky spot for me. What about the um, what about the Hawks like psyche coming into this game? Like, you know, they could play with Philly, right? I mean, they they have to be somewhat confident, even though you know they're kind of a young group that's you know they haven't been a, a, around as long as Philly. But you know, how do you think that they feel coming into this game? Like, do they think like, oh, here comes you know here comes Philly? You know, they finally woke up. Like, are they worried about this team, or do do you think that they feel like they belong on the floor with these guys? Um, I think with I think their uh, confidence has to be sky high. You know, they they came out in one game one. You know, as a five or six point underdog. You know, when the game closed, um, and even game two that they lost. You know, they uh, Philly came out and jumped on them really early. But you know, going into halftime, that game was either tied up or they was only down by two points. So um, they was able to come back. Uh, against them, you know, even, you know, Philly having an elite defense. And, you know, the game was pretty, you know, close throughout the second half until, uh, you know, Philly, a couple of role players from Philly bench, you know, erupted like uh, Shake Milton and, and Corkmans and, you know, some of those guys. And they ended up winning by, you know, 16 and not having the type of game from Trey Young that he's been having throughout his, you know, playoff debut. So I think their, you know, um, their confidence is sky high. You know, their crowd is going to be, you know, insane. Um, you know, they've they've already proven that they can play with them and beat them. Um, they have the home court advantage right now. So, yeah, Atlanta's um, – Atlanta's, I don't think they have to worry about their confidence, you know, the, uh, for this one. Yeah, I do have a question for you when it comes to Atlanta and Trey Young. Me personally, I like that, that he kind of took over, like, this villain role. Like, I feel like the NBA really needs, like – just like that dude, like that dude that like nobody likes and he's just, he, he'll grind you down and he'll, you know, do his thing. But I also, I didn't expect to see this Trey Young. Um, and I don't know if you did, like, I know he's good and I know he has those games where he'll go out and he'll, you know, he'll burn you for 15 assists or 14 assists and he'll go out and he'll get, you know, he'll get his 30 points and he'll put up a ton of shots. But I feel like the playoffs is just a different animal and that sometimes, you know, certain players step up and sometimes certain players don't. I didn't see Trey Young stepping up in, in this way and really just taking command of this team. And then I also didn't see him taking, you know, like, kind of like this villain role, which, um, you know, I, I absolutely love. Like, I think the NBA needs that. And I think Trey Young's like a perfect fit for that. Um, so. I don't know how you felt about Young going into the playoffs, but I mean, he's here, right? Smooth. I mean, he's not going to go anywhere after this. I mean, that dude pretty much solidified himself as you know, a, a up and coming star, and he's just not going nowhere. And if you know he is the villain, then you're just gonna have to deal with it and suck it up, right? Yeah. Um, just speaking on Trey Young a little bit, you know, he was somebody that. I've always liked and and been pretty high on even going back to watching them play, you know, at, at Oklahoma. Um, you know, he, you know, led the league in scoring and assists, I believe, you know, in college, you know, at Oklahoma and and the team that he was on for that year, you know, they didn't have any other pros, you know, um, you know, to get drafted, you know, when he was playing there. Um, so it was it was pretty much him. You know, he saw a lot of uh, a lot of defensive attention night in, night out. Um, the only thing that the only couple of things that worried me or concerned me early on in this game was um, nothing to do with his height or anything. It was just the fact that he was drawing a lot of comparisons to Steph Curry, 
um, for the simple fact that, you know, his range uh, pretty early in his career, uh, even going back to Oklahoma, uh, reminded a lot of people of Steph Curry. And I think that's something he kind of fell into a little bit. And um, it kind of carried over into the pros where he would take um, some, I thought, some unnecessary uh, deep threes where he probably didn't didn't need to. Um, but I think under Nate McMillan, you know, being able to him being able to coach him, he's been able to get him to understand, you know, you don't necessarily have to take those type of shots um, as much as he was early on. And also, um, I know he got a lot of flack for, you know, he's putting up numbers, um, you know, his first couple of years, but they weren't winning anything. But now you see that he's able to control the game that the way that he does. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people out there noticed, but, you know, he was second in the league in uh, assists per game uh, behind Westbrook. And I think he ranked top top 10 or top 15 in scoring, uh, scoring per game. So pretty much, you know, the type of production that he had in college is carried over into the pros. Um, Atlanta has some nice young pieces around him that they all complement each other's game, have a great head coach in Nate McMillan, and everything's pretty much clicking right now, even though they're missing a, a key piece in DeAndre Hunter. Um, this team goes as Trey Young goes, and, you know, when he's, you know, efficient and playing well, you know, you obviously can see, you know, the sky's the limit for this young team. You know, they're going up against a, a Eastern Conference favorite um, team that's expected to reach, you know, the conference finals and maybe the NBA finals and, you know, you know, Trey is, you know, really playing well in his first time in the playoffs. So obviously, you know, I like him moving forward, but I like him even more now that he's playing more of a complete game, uh, pretty, uh, very, has a, a high IQ, can get to the free throw line, you know, score on all levels. Um, even though he's small, you can't really, you know, they're not really exposing him defensively. Um, you, you know, he's not a lockdown defender, but he gives great effort and he's surrounded by a lot of guys. Um, that don't allow you to take advantage of them defensively. So I think um, Atlanta's going to you know, have a pretty bright future, especially with you know him running the show. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with with a guy like that because you could build around that dude. Um, you know, he's he, he really learned how to how to kind of hone in his skills with being an actual point guard. Um, I felt like there were a lot of things like you know going back to Oklahoma that he didn't do but they knew that there was a ton of talent there and it took him a little bit like you said but yeah he's gonna be he's gonna be somebody that's dangerous and that that teams are just not gonna want to deal with you know on a nightly basis let's go ahead and close up the pod with the suns and the nuggets i like the suns here smooth i do um they're gonna get a point and a half denver's gonna be at home here denver's down oh two uh like like we talked about you know in the beginning of the pod Maybe the Nuggets are the play for the first quarter. They're going to come out sky high. If that team actually believes that this series isn't over, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, if they come out sky high and, and they and they put up a ton of points. And one of the reasons why I think that that might actually happen is because the Suns don't want to run and gun. You know, they want to set their offense up and all that stuff like that, you know, move a little bit slower pace. So there's a good chance I think the Nuggets probably get out to a lead. So... I'll make that a pick because I just I have a feeling that that's probably the right way to go with Denver if you're going to bet Denver, is to bet them in the first quarter. Uh, more than likely, you'll be laying a point, maybe a half a point, and then uh, after that, I guess you know we'll, we'll see what happens. But if if Denver does run out to this big lead, um, I would probably fade them in the second quarter. That's what I would do. I think my concern here, smooth, 
you know, for the Nuggets overall is that I feel like as I watch the first two games, like there's just a mismatch there. Like Jokic and Aiton, they're just they're they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um and I don't know if that makes any sense. I guess it doesn't because I really didn't explain myself, but I just feel like there are like matchup disadvantages right now uh, for the Nuggets, and it's just overall it's just a bad matchup um, right now with you know with, with the Suns and with Chris Paul running point guard. Um, I don't think the Nuggets could could match you know Phoenix defensively. So I don't know, man. Like I guess I'm buying into the hype a little bit with with Phoenix, but. Now, I wonder how, how the Nuggets are going to react here um, in this particular game if they're just, you know, worn out and, and beat up. And if the Suns don't want, you know, to have this series go, you know, past four games and they could just sit back and watch the Clippers and, and Utah, you know, literally beat the crap out of each other and the Suns could just stay rested and, and just sit, relax, and game plan. I don't know. I think the Suns come in here and they play really good basketball. I could see them maybe falling behind in, in the beginning. Um, but that team has been pretty consistent, um, you know, throughout the last two games. So I like the Suns. I'll let you try to talk me out of it because I know you like the Nuggets in this one. You want to talk a little bit about the addition of Will Barton and, you know, how important you think he is. But how you feeling about Suns and Nuggets? Yeah, I'm, I'm liking the Nuggets. Uh, money line opened up at a minus 115 on pregame. I think it's up to 120 now. So I'll take the Nuggets money line. Um, the game two, um, they just completely didn't show up, and they was called out by Mike Malone, uh, their head coach. Um, I think he accused them of, of quitting uh, pretty much. And, you know, when the team hears that, you know, that that motivates them even more to come out the next game. And, you know, they're going back home um, where they play really well at Denver. Um, they also have that altitude advantage on their side. Um, but if you go back to game one, um, they were pretty – um, they were in the driver's seat in that game for majority of it, and late in the ball game in the third quarter, uh, they had about a nine or ten point lead. But then the Suns went on a um, an offensive run, and they never looked back after that. So, and then when you look, you know, down the stats column, they they pretty much played them uh, uh, pretty much straight uh, straight up. You know, you're talking about shooting from the field, shooting from the three, number of turnovers per game, and um, those important stats that we look at to try to find an edge. Um, so, you know, I do think that they, they will have an edge, you know, going back to Denver. Um, also, um, Jokic and Aiden with that battle, um, the first two games, you know, there's been, there hasn't been any, a, a real edge, um, either, uh, either way. And a lot of people, including myself was expecting, you know, Jokic to dominate that matchup or at least be a, the clear cut winner out of that matchup. It hasn't happened yet. And I think once they go back to Denver, um, you'll see, I think you're going to see that for the first game, um, game three. Um, and also, you know, you mentioned Will Barton, he came back for game two. And I think that improves, uh, Denver's depth. And he was a starting two guard for them majority of the year, the 56 or 57 games that he played, he started in about 54 of them. So, you know, with the Nuggets already missing Jamal Murray, uh, getting back Barton, you know, you, you don't have to start a Austin Rivers and, you know, Compazzo. Um, you know, start the game out. You can, you know, move back Barton into that lineup and you can either start Compazzo or Austin Rivers alongside Barton. So, you know, and Barton, he's somebody that's averaging about 12 or 13 points a game, averaging about three or four assists a game. So 
he's a little bit of a playmaker for them as well, especially with Murray out. So it doesn't everything doesn't have to fall on Jokic to go out there to, you know, try to get thirty and try to get you know other guys involved at a high level as well. You know, that's some of the you know Will Barton can can uh, you know put some of that on his plate. Uh, I think you get a better game out of Michael Porter Jr. You know, he was dealing with a little bit of a tweak back in game two, but he's listed as probable to play. And, you know, I just think the Nuggets, they're going to play a lot better at home. You know, defensively, it's not much of a difference for them, you know, being at home or on the road this year. But on the offensive end, they have, you know, about a 10-point 10, 10 net rating, you know, uh, advantage, you know, being at home versus being on the road while, the Suns, you know, they're a little bit worse on the road, on the road, uh, offensively and defensively. So I think that'll be a little bit of a difference for Game Three. And you know, I'll back, I'll back Denver on the money line. All right. Well, Smooth's gonna go ahead. He's gonna take Denver on the money line. You know, one of the things about Barton, I don't know if you agree with me with this move, but this is something that you would probably know a whole hell of a lot better than I would, because you know, you played basketball uh, at a at a much higher level than I did. But I feel like Barton probably add some leadership that was, you know, missing from this team, you know, when Murray went out. A lot of people might look at Barton and be like, he's not, you know, like a leader leader. But I saw him the other day and I was watching him and I'm like, he's out there directing traffic. He's out there like yelling at guys, not negatively, but he was out there like, you know, pointing here and pointing there. And I feel like, and I think this happens, but I think it happens more with these veteran-type players. Somebody like a Will Barton is a perfect example of a guy who gets stuck and has to sit down. I don't feel – I'm, I'm guessing Barton didn't just sit on the sideline, that he was out there trying to help his team, and he was out there trying to coach these younger guys and guys for filling in, and and that just carried right over to you know him on the floor to where maybe now he feels like he, he took a little bit of a – you know, a little bit of a leadership role. He knows he has to fill in, uh, you know, for, for Murray not being there. Could you touch on that a little bit, though? Is that something, like, that you've ever dealt with or that you've seen? Uh, maybe there's another player out there that you could say, you know, they've you've seen them grow, you know, just over a period of time. Maybe it was, you know, an injury or maybe throughout the offseason or something. But it just seemed like that was something that, that showed me the other day, like with Barton, I was like, I normally don't see Barton like that. I usually just see Barton either running and gunning and kind of taking orders. But it seemed like he was giving them, and I think that that is a good thing, you know, aside from his scoring, is that, you know, they do need a leader because uh, I don't know how good of a leader Jokic is or how good he can communicate, you know, with a lot of guys, you know, on the floor for the Nuggets. So I don't know how you feel about that, but that's kind of just something that I saw and – Obviously, you would probably think that's a, a pretty big help for the Nuggets going in this game, right? Yeah, that's a great point that you brought up because uh, not only is Barton, he's a good player for them, but he's a veteran in the league. You know, he's been in Denver, you know, for a few years now, and he knows how to play really well in that system and, and play really well alongside uh, Nikola Jokic with some of the other guys. And so when he speaks, a lot of those, you know, guys are going to listen, especially that guys that just got there, like uh, Aaron Gordon or you know, guys that are, you know, playing more minutes now because they're dealing with some some injuries. And, you know, you even see like a, a Jamal Murray who's, you know, out for the season, who's on the sideline. He's still, you know, uh, being boisterous and, and uh, you know, helping people out and, you know, knowing where to go and nowhere to cut. And, you know, that's something that Will Barton is able to do too. You know, you've seen him do it on the sideline, but 
it's a little bit uh, more impactful when he's able to do that, um, you know, be a, a leader with his voice, but also be out there to be able to play as well. And, you know, like I said, he, he's somebody that's played alongside Jokic and uh, some of these other guys like, you know, Porter Jr. and um, you know, Millsap when he's out there that, you know, they're able to, you know, have that chemistry and, and play well off one another just because they've been the the key players there for, you know, the last couple of years or so. So just having him back, um, you know, could settle, could settle down, you know, the backcourt a little bit. You know, he's able to do a lot of different things for the Nuggets, whether – you know, handle the ball, bring the ball up to court, pick and roll, score, um, facilitate, you know, be a leader. You know, he's he's done a little bit of everything, you know, since he's been with the Nuggets. So um, that definitely helps with him being back. You know, he had a – even though they got blew out, you know, he had a pretty solid game, you know, shot the ball pretty well game two, uh, got a couple assists or whatever. But I think he'll be a lot better and a lot more impactful game three. And – I think somebody like Jokic will really benefit from that, but, you know, the rest of the team as well. You know, he, like I said, he improves the depth and he just, you know, puts everybody else, you know, at ease a little bit more knowing you have, you know, one of your guys that's been there for a few years and, and was a main starter for the last few years as well. So I think the Nuggets play a lot better and, you know, he'll be a, a big part of it. All right. Well, it should be an interesting day tomorrow uh, with those two games. I do have one quick question for you there, Smooth, because I do want to bring up uh do want to bring up the Golden Knights, even though we're, this is basketball, but I do want to bring up uh the Golden Knights. You you live in Vegas, so you know kinda how you get like that buzz in the city. Um like when Mayweather used to fight, it would always happen. Like there's just this weird buzz and there's this weird feeling that just runs around town. Did you happen to feel that uh, today? Because the Golden Knights played at home. It was a uh, actually Golden Knights played. Yeah, they did the Golden Knights play at home. Yeah, yeah, they played at home tonight. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I know they were playing at home tonight because I loved them tonight. I knew they were going to win that damn game. But um, and I felt like I felt that buzz. And I'm back in Pennsylvania. Like I felt like I felt the city just buzzing. And if you haven't been there, um, you know, for big fight nights or you know, just big, massive events or something like that. It's just something that you have to experience it. But did you happen to feel any of that? Were you around town today, Smooth? Did you, did you feel like a that weird buzz uh, in the air today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not a, a real big hockey fan, but you don't really have to be to feel the buzz when they're, you know, when they're playing and playing well in the playoffs. But, you know, just seeing, you know, how the game was going and, um, the arena packed and everybody's, you know, waving the white towels and you got the, some members from the, the Las Vegas Aces, you know, uh, you know, uh, ringing the horn and everything and it's going crazy in there. Um, you definitely feel the energy and the, and the buzz from the fans. I'm pretty sure the players do. Um, I think it's the third, the third, the third time, you know, out of, you know, the four years since the Knights have been here where they've advanced to the conference finals or something like that, or the semifinals, I think. So, um, you know, they're they're still new here, but, you know, they play really well, but especially when they're, you know, been in the playoffs and, you know, home games here, you know, they're just uh, the nuts. Um, I think the, our fans here are, are pretty uh, passionate but respectful at the same time. You know, it's a, a great atmosphere. You know, everybody that goes to the games always talks about, you know, how great the atmosphere is, is and uh, how everybody's into the game. So, 
uh, I think everybody can see that, especially if you're watching it or you're going to the game and um, either, either you're a hockey fan or not. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's fun having them here, you know, and they're it's also, you know, contributed to them, you know, being really good, uh, you know, you know, really early, you know, uh, since they've been here and everybody just, you know, loves them and, and supports them. So, yes, you definitely feel the buzz, especially living here. You know, it was as you were talking, I was thinking the same damn thing you were you were saying as you were talking. Like that team, they're always going to be good. Like they're going to be a good team probably for a really, really long time. The fact that Vegas never had a professional team, and that was the first professional team that they had, you know, Vegas has gotten big. You know, for people who haven't gotten there, it's not the 1980s anymore. Like there's almost 2 million people, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. You got people from L.A. and California and Arizona um, just moving in, in, moving into Vegas. Like Vegas got really big really quick. But everybody fell in love with that team. Um, I like, I don't even know people out there that, that at least don't at least root for them. Even if they're a hockey fan for another team, they still find themselves some way, somehow, um, you know, showing support for that team. But that it is a unique buzz. Um, you know, and I, and I've been in, you know, I've been all over, man, in Philadelphia, I've been, you know, everywhere where, where teams have played and you just don't feel that type of a buzz. And I kind of felt it back here and. You know, when you're when you're driving around and doing your kind of thing there in Vegas, um, it's just it's a really cool feeling. So uh, hopefully I'll be out there soon and I'll be able to experience that buzz here sooner or later. But uh, we went long enough here, guys. Happy to get smooth on the pod uh, to go ahead and talk some NBA. Hopefully we'll go ahead and we'll cash some tickets. You guys know where to find us uh, at bettingpredators.com and at pregame.com. You can get me at sleepyj underscore pregame on Twitter. Get smooth at smooth underscore 702. And with that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck on your Friday. Enjoy the games.